but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Man, these words are deep. These words are super profound. A couple of quick notes. This isn't our, our main emphasis here, but notice how personally Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. In verse 17, it says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not a power. The Holy Spirit is a person. Someone to know. Not an it and Him. Okay, This is someone that we are to receive, to know. He dwells with us, will be in us. But what I want us to notice here is that the world apparently cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Why can't the world receive the Holy Spirit? Well, if we're connecting it with Luke chapter 11, the Holy Spirit is given to those who ask. The world is not asking. Does that make sense? The world is not asking, therefore they're not receiving. And so, really, when it comes to understanding revival, the question that we need to to really consider is, what is my relation to the Holy Spirit? Am I receiving the Holy Spirit, or am I not? Am I asking for the Holy Spirit, or am I not? What is our relationship to the Holy Spirit? This is really the critical question when it comes to understanding my need, your need, our need for revival. What is our relationship to the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> if we understand the, the answer to this, then we'll, we'll know how we stand in our experience of personal revival. And maybe even the better question to this is, how do I even answer this question? <laughs> How do I even know what my relationship to the Holy Spirit is? And so we're going to explore this today in our study. Um, we're going to start in the writings of Paul, and then we'll kind of we'll, we'll kind of go through the the expanse of the expanse of the New Testament here. But we're going to start in the writings of Paul because Paul describes three kinds of people in First Corinthians chapter two. Go with me there, First Corinthians chapter two. He's describing three kinds of people, and they're different. Their distinctions are in their relationship to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is going to help us understand how do I relate to the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The end of chapter 2, even bleeding into chapter 3. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Three kinds of people. Paul is going to introduce us to to them. Uh, I'm just going to put it here up here on the screen. Three kinds of people according to 1 Corinthians 2 and 3. A natural person, a spiritual person, and a carnal person, okay? Natural person, spiritual person, carnal person. And what, what makes them distinct? You will notice it's how they relate to the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 13. 1 Corinthians 2.13, the Bible says this. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Notice verse 14. But the natural man, the what kind of man? The natural. Okay, so we're talking about that first person. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Alright, so the first kind of person that Paul is talking about is a natural person person. In other words, uh, as he describes this natural person, what we know about them, according to verse 14, is that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. 
Okay? The natural person does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Just like we read in John 14, it's, this is what Jesus was calling the world, who cannot receive the Spirit nor know Him. Okay? This is the natural person. That is, if we were to describe this very bluntly, the natural person has no relation to the Holy Spirit. Okay? The natural person has no relation to the Holy Spirit. This is not a put-down. This is just a statement of facts. Why do they not have a relationship to the Holy Spirit? Because they're not asking. And they're not receiving. They don't even care to ask. This is the natural person. Okay. Second type of person we're introduced to in verse 15. So we've got the natural man, but how about the spiritual man? Verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. But he who is what? He who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Alright, so there's a, a natural person who has no relationship to the Holy Spirit, can't even perceive spiritual things because they're not receiving the Holy Spirit. But the spiritual person, oh man, I missed this, sorry. <laughs> um, the spiritual person is, is kind of like what Jesus was talking about um, in, in, in the interview with Nicodemus. Let's read this here, uh, John chapter 3, verse 3 and 5. The Bible says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot do what? He cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, so he's talking to Nicodemus and saying, there's, there's, there are some people that just can't see it. There are some people that, that just have no capacity to see the kingdom of God. But in, in the very next verse, in verse 5, he says, he's trying to parallel this, uh, this statement. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and what else? And the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In other words, when you are born of water, when you are born of the Spirit, you can enter the kingdom of God and you can see the kingdom of God. You have the capacity to spiritually discern. Just like what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. I'm sorry, yeah, in verse, verse 16. For, he who it, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we, meaning spiritual people, have the mind of Christ. We have the capacity to, to enter the kingdom. We have the capacity to see God working around us. We have the capacity to discern spiritual things because we are spiritual people. We have the Spirit of God. Am I losing anybody thus far? Okay, so we've got a natural person who is not receiving the Spirit and can therefore not even perceive the kingdom. We've got a spiritual person who is able to, to perceive the kingdom of God, who is able to discern spiritual things. Why? Because they have been born of the Spirit. Okay? Um, in other words, let's, let's say it like this. The spiritual person is filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Plain and simple. Yeah? The spiritual person is filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe another way to put that is, in the lingo of, of John 3, the spiritual person is born of the Holy Spirit. The spiritual person is surrendered to the Holy Spirit's influence in their lives. Uh, quoting from Halbert, or, or Helmut Haubeil in his book that we were, uh, we were giving out here in the front lobby, if you haven't picked it up yet, go ahead and pick up your free copy, Steps to Personal Revival. He says it like this, the spiritual person has committed himself essentially and completely to Jesus. 
And as a general rule, this is confirmed daily by surrendering himself to Jesus every morning. Everything he is and everything he has, everything to Jesus. That's the spiritual person. So we've got a natural person who can't even, can't even perceive spiritual things. Why? Because they have no relationship to the Holy Spirit. We've got a spiritual person who can perceive spiritual things because they've been born again by the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. All right? But there is a third person. There is a third kind of relationship to the Holy Spirit. You know, some of us are thinking, wait, haven't we already talked about this when we were doing the John 3.16 series, that you're either walking in the Spirit or you're walking in the flesh? Well, here, there's, there's actually a distinction. Paul makes not just two camps, but he's talking about a third, a third type of person. Let's go 1 Corinthians again. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This third person is a carnal person as it's written in the New King James. In verse 1, if you're there, say amen. All right. Don't worry. Hopefully this will all kind of clear up as we're kind of moving along here. (laughs) In verse 1 it says, And I, brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to what kind? Carnal. So here's Paul. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He's saying, we're spiritual people. We're we're discerning spiritual things because we have the mind of God. We have the spirit of God. But then he's talking to these brethren. He says, but but you, brethren, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal. This is distinct from the natural person. This is different from the natural person. But as to carnal, as to what in Christ? What do you see there in verse 1? As to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you. Are not carnal and behaving like... Excuse me. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul. And another, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal. Alright, let's follow this. Let's break this down. What do we know about the carnal person? The carnal person is, uh, first thing that we know, according to verse 1, is a brethren. Do you notice that? <laughs> it's a brethren or a sister. In other words, it's a church member. A carnal person is a, is a Christian. A carnal person, according to what, what Paul is describing here, there are people in the church that he calls carnal. Okay, so, so they're brethren, they're church members, they're part of God's family. What else? They're not just brethren, but they're also babes. <laughs> In verse 2 it says, I fed you with milk, not with solid food. For until now you are not able to receive it. Even now you are still not able. In other words, what Paul is saying is, they're not just church members, but they're spiritually immature. There's something lacking in their spiritual growth. Now, let's admit, we all need spiritual growth. Amen? We are all in need of progress and continuing to develop into the maturity of Christ. But when Paul is talking about babes here at the end of verse 1 as to babes in Christ, he's saying the emphasis is that their process of growth has been stunted or stalled. That they're actually missing something. That their experience hasn't had what it should have. If we were to kind of go back to Nicodemus' experience in John chapter 3, I don't know if I have this here on the screen. Yeah, notice how Jesus talks to Nicodemus a little bit. Jesus answered and said to him, 
Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Do you know how Jesus is talking to Nicodemus? He's talking to him as a babe. He's saying, you're the teacher, the teacher of Israel. You're the person who has all this great spiritual biblical knowledge and yet you're missing something in your experience. You don't know these things. What things? Things of being born of the Spirit. So Jesus, he is surprised that the teacher of Israel doesn't know or have a personal experience of rebirth by the Holy Spirit. The implication is that it's, it's, it's possible to be not just a church member, but it's possible to be an active church member. It's, it's possible to be a knowledgeable church member. It's, it's possible to, to have all these things, these externals of spiritual maturity, and yet, in reality, be spiritually childish. To be spiritually immature, to be spiritually inexperienced in the Holy Spirit. And when Paul is talking to these babes in Christ, he's not castigating them, but he is pointing out something. Something about their experience that's lacking and missing. And apparently that immature experience, that spiritual disconnect, did you notice how it shows up, at least in the Corinthian church? It shows up in interpersonal dysfunction. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, For you are still carnal in verse 3. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? You're behaving like the natural person. For when one says, oh, I am of Paul, another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Even though these arguments are about spiritual things, they're still putting self at the center, right? Are you not carnal? The conclusion then, what is the carnal person? We know the natural person has no relationship to the Holy Spirit. The spiritual person is filled with the Holy Spirit. What about the carnal person? The carnal person is not sufficiently filled with the Holy Spirit. Not sufficiently filled with the Holy Spirit. This is distinct from the natural person who has no relationship to the Holy Spirit, right? Because these are people who claim Christ. These are people who are, who are showing up. These are people who are involved, who are engaged, who are even knowledgeable. And yet they're missing something in their experience of being born again. And it shows up in stirring and creating divisions as opposed to healing and restoring them. So the carnal person's relationship to the Spirit is that they are not filled with or, or they are not sufficiently filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do we say not sufficiently filled with the Holy Spirit? Um, again, going back to that book, uh, there, there was um, just a, a section there. If, I don't know if, how many of you have started reading the book, Steps to Personal Revival? Just curious, yeah? We've got a few. Okay, we've got a few. If you haven't, get started, get started. Um, but it makes a connection to a parable that maybe you're familiar with. It's a parable of the ten virgins. Have you heard this before? In the parable of the ten virgins, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is, in the context, he's talking about signs of the times. He's talking about watching and being ready for the second coming. And he's describing his church who is watching and waiting. He describes them as ten virgins, right? Five of them are wise, and five of them are foolish. Again, not a put down, but just a way to distinguish between the two. In this parable, the five wise, the five foolish, they've got a lot of things in common, right? 
they are all waiting for the groom to come. Amen, right? This is the church in waiting for Jesus. Uh, they are all um, they are all carrying lamps to light the way. In other words, they have possession of the lamp of God, the word of God. And they all fall asleep. Did you notice that? In the parable in Matthew 25, they all fall asleep. In other words, they all experience the delay. This anticipation of Jesus coming, but there is a delay. And when they hear the midnight cry, Behold, your bridegroom cometh. What, what happens? That's where the distinction is, right? In Matthew chapter 25, those first few verses, the distinction is that when they wake up and they, they trim their lamps, the five wives, excuse me, the five wise virgins, they have sufficient oil to welcome the groom. The five foolish, what are they looking for at that time? They're looking for oil. They had oil. They didn't have sufficient oil. And they turn to the wise virgins and say, hey, give us some of your oil. And the five wives say, or excuse me, the five wise virgins, <laughs> they say, oh, we, we can't do that. We can't do that. You go, you go get some yourself. In other words, the Holy Spirit can't be received secondhand. The Holy Spirit can't be received secondhand. And so in the end, when the five foolish virgins go get some of the oil and come back and they knock on the door that's now closed, it's told to them at the door, I don't know you. I don't know you. In other words, there's no relationship with Jesus. The insufficient supply of the Spirit is indicative of an insufficient relationship with Jesus. So the carnal life claiming Christ but being insufficiently filled with the Spirit, it shows up in a lot of different shades and shapes. It is possible to be waiting for the second coming of Jesus and not have sufficient oil. It is possible to be waiting for the second coming of Jesus and to be a carnal person. And how does that show up? Well, sometimes it shows up as, as living in blatant sin. Even though we're church members, we sometimes we just follow the way of self and we follow the way of pride and we, we just go hard, hard-nosed even into sin. How, do, how else does it show up? Uh, Paul addresses these people as, as brethren, as church members. They've got one foot in, one foot out. And because of this uh, kind of back-and-forth experience of claiming Christ but not being sufficiently filled with the Spirit of Christ, uh, there's a sense of dissatisfaction in their spiritual journey, disappointment, even purposelessness. They may feel under constant effort in their spiritual life. They may even feel, on the flip side of this, a carnal person could even feel enthusiastic about religious things. They could even feel fired up about religious things, very active in church ministry or leadership. They may even accomplish a lot for God, but in the end, do they have sufficient oil? Do they have a sufficient relationship with Jesus? Man, some of the most sobering words in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this, do that, do this, do that. Didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And in verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Hmm. It's still possible that the carnal person doesn't have a real relationship with the Christ, just like the foolish virgins <clears throat> who had insufficient oil. And I realize today that this is kind of a heavy message. 
that the study, as we're looking at this, the three kinds of relationships to the Holy Spirit, the three kinds of people that are described in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3, um, it ought to inspire some serious self-reflection, right? Before we get to just kind of understanding where we're at, I want us to realize that when it comes to the carnal person, there's some bad news, but there's also some good news. So what do you want to hear first, the bad news or the good news? (laughs) I actually planned to start with the bad news, sorry. (laughs) Alright, so let's talk about the bad news first. The bad news about carnal Christianity. Here's the bad news. The bad news about carnal Christianity is it is not easily recognized. This is, this is tough. To realize that there's a possibility to do and be busy about the things of the kingdom of God and yet not know Jesus, that breaks my heart. And that humbles my heart deeply. Deeply. It is possible to not, I mean, to be fully carnal and to not even know it. It's not so easy to identify carnal Christianity because a carnal Christian's life can be so filled with religion that we don't realize it. Again, quoting from the book, Steps to Personal Revival. Since a carnal person's life is filled with religion, he often doesn't realize that he's missing something vital, an intimate and saving relationship with God. An intimate and saving relationship with God. Man, that's the bad news about it. Sometimes we're experiencing it and we don't even know it. Go with me to Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3, there is a group of people who live in a town called Laodicea. And Jesus, the faithful witness, is addressing their condition. And it's not just the condition of this people in this specific town at that specific time, but I think it's reflective of God's people at the very end of time. Laodicea. In Laodicea, we we read, kind of, uh, we get a sense of what they're up to Starting in verse 15. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. The Bible says, Jesus speaking again, red letters in my Bible. He says, I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. Interestingly, Laodicea was known for its um, hydrotherapy treatments. In that town, they had a spring. They had access to a hot spring. And so when you're, when you're in hydrotherapy, you want hot water or you want cold water. Tepid water doesn't really do much healing for you. Right? And so Jesus, he's speaking to these people who know the difference. He says, so then in verse 16, so then because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I've become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know. Again, there's that idea, not even recognizing that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus doesn't leave them wallowing in their uh, self-deceit. He gives them counsel. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. 
Jesus is trying to shake them by the shoulders and just kind of cause them to become aware, cause them to come to their senses. Yes, I actually need revival. You know you need revival when you don't feel like you need revival. I want us to see something here. The reason for their lukewarmth in this, you know, as we're looking at the bad news about carnal Christianity, the reason for their lukewarmth is not just how how much they feel on fire for God or not. The reason for their lukewarmth is actually in verse 20. And it wasn't until I read this book that it kind of put the Laodicean message into perspective and I realized, oh, that's been there all along and I've just kind of missed it. Verse 20, here's the reason for their lukewarmth. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. First of all, this is a really neat picture that Jesus is actually wanting to come into our lives, right? But at the same time, it's a very pitiful picture. Why? Because here is a church that has Jesus standing outside of the door. What? This is what hit me between the eyes as I was just kind of processing steps to personal revival and my own personal experience and stuff. Wait a minute. Their lukewarmth is not, do I feel on fire for God? Am I doing lots of things for God? Their lukewarmth is the direct result that Jesus is not inside, he's outside. That's why they are lukewarm. The bottom line reason for lukewarmth is right there. He says it here. Uh, Helmut says it. A person can even be a committed church member, a diligent church leader, or pastor, or president, and still be lukewarm in his relationship with Christ. The person is so dedicated to accomplishing a lot of tasks that he neglects his personal relationship with Christ. This is the lukewarmness that Jesus wants removed. We can be busy about doing this. We can be going here, doing this, saying that, preaching that. But if Jesus is outside, then my relationship with him is lukewarm. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Lukewarmness isn't about whether I feel enthused about Jesus. Lukewarmness isn't about whether I'm doing things for Jesus. The question is, is Jesus inside or is he outside? (laughs) The question is, have I had the good sense to open the door? Or have I been so busy about my business that I've closed my ears to the fact that he's knocking and I've left him on the sidelines? The bad news about carnal Christianity is that it's hard to recognize. (laughs) It's hard to recognize. That we have this self-script just like Laodicea does. I'm, I'm rich. Become wealthy. I have need of nothing. And I don't even know that I'm wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked and that Jesus is standing outside the door. Bummer. The good news is, you ready for the good news? (laughs) The good news is, we don't have to stay carnal Christians. Again, back to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. That was the pitiful part. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus, what are you doing outside? But the good news is this. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... 
I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That's the good news. The door doesn't have to stay closed. Praise the Lord. I don't have to still be a carnal Christian. If I recognize myself here, if I know myself script, yeah, I've got it, I've got it, I don't need anything. Whoa, I can still come out of that. God can bring me to my senses. I can choose to open the door. It's possible for the carnal person to become spiritual. Praise Him. Actually, I think I have it here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Back to this passage that we were reading in Paul. Did you notice how he was talking about that, that carnal experience? He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm talking to you as carnal people, but notice it. I fed you with milk, not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. The implication that Paul is saying is, you're currently carnal, you don't have to stay carnal. You're, you're still carnal. In other words, you can grow past this. Right? There's hope there. That's the good news there. Are we following that? Paul recognizes, okay, I'm talking to carnal, carnal brethren, carnal babes, but they don't have to stay that way. They're still carnal. They can become spiritual. No one has to remain carnal. In the message to Laodicea, the choice and the remedy is simple. Open the door. (laughs) Have the good sense to hear Jesus knocking at the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And you notice what the result is? I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. In other words, candlelit dinner. We're going to look eye to eye. We're going to know each other. You're going to know me. I'm going to know you. When you actually let me in. When you ask for the Holy Spirit. In the parable of the virgins, the choice is simple too. Be filled with oil. Be filled with oil now. Be filled with sufficient oil now. (laughs) And don't just wait for someone else to get it for you. Don't try to obtain it secondhand. No, a relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, it's always firsthand faith. It's always a first-hand experience. Amen? So being sufficiently filled with the Holy Spirit is really synonymous with being sufficiently in relationship with Jesus. (laughs) Whether we really know Him, back to Laodicea, when we let Him in the front door and ask for His presence in our lives, we experience that candlelit dinner, that table fellowship, that intimate, personal communion. (laughs) Simple question today. How many of you want to open the door? Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, as we, you know, we, we did kind of this kind of matter-of-fact study, natural person, spiritual person, carnal person. And the point is that we're supposed to be able to look at the Scripture and say, where am I? What kind of person am I? What kind of relationship to the Holy Spirit do I have? What kind of relationship to Jesus do I have? Have I left Jesus, knowingly or unknowingly, standing outside, knocking, rather than letting him in. So, as we're just kind of getting practical here, the first thing to do when it comes to steps to personal revival is know what kind of person I am. Assess what is my relationship to the Holy Spirit. Is Jesus inside or is he outside? And if step one to personal revival that we talked about last week is just to ask for the Holy Spirit and to ask continually for the Holy Spirit, then step two is equally as simple. Open the door. Open the door. Open the door of your heart. Let Jesus take center stage. 
Because it's by knowing Jesus personally, it's by knowing Jesus daily, that we are sufficiently filled with oil, that we have the presence of Jesus through His Spirit. Maybe you're asking yourself, well, how do I do that? How do I know Jesus daily and personally? We're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks so that we can really experience opening the heart door, being sufficiently filled now. If you still have Revelation chapter 3 open, just two last texts I want us to look at. Revelation chapter 3, verse verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. If you feel like you're looking hard into the mirror today, know that God loves you. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) That God isn't just going to tell us these things just to kind of slap us upside the head and say, there, you know? (laughs) No. He wants us. He wants us to have real relationship with Him. That's why He's telling, that's why He's investing the time, the energy to even let us know. He could easily turn His back on us and say, you don't even care to know. I'm out of here. I'm outside the door already. I'll just escort myself out the lawn. You know, whatever the case. Jesus is saying, no, as many as I love. If, if you're hearing this today, it's because I love you. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And here's the conclusion. Therefore, be zealous. Actually, the word there means heat up, get hot to boiling temperature. Okay, going back to the hot, cold, lukewarm thing. Get fired up and, what is that last part? Be zealous and repent. Repent. In other words, come home. Turn around. Recognize the direction that you're headed and that it's far from opening the door. And repent of anything that has closed the door to Jesus. Repent of anything that has kept him outside. Today, a simple question. Do you want to open the door? <laughs> and when I ask that, when, 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 you, when you say, yes, I want to open the door, realize that the part and parcel of that is repenting of anything that is closing the door whether knowingly or unknowingly. The Holy Spirit knows how to search our hearts. How have I actually escorted Jesus out? Repent of that and be intentional to escort Jesus in. Just by a show of hands, how many of you want that today? (laughs) Say, yes, I want to repent of anything that's closing the door. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, today is a day of salvation. Because we're, we're choosing to repent. This isn't something that we can, you know, like a switch, flip on and flip off. No, we need you to work out the gift of repentance in us. Lord, we can't fire ourselves up. We can't heat ourselves up. We can't make ourselves hot. But what we can do is to recognize the doors that we've closed and to intentionally open them to your presence in our lives. God, forgive us, please, for going about our business and leaving you standing outside. Forgive us for being satisfied with things of an external nature to the extent that we've left our internal condition barren, like a wasteland. Holy Spirit, please come. Breathe your living breath of life in us. 
So Father, these baby steps that we're taking, we're going we're gonna to ask for the Holy Spirit. We're going to ask continually for the Holy Spirit because we have a continual need for your Spirit. And now we're adding this second dynamic that as we ask for the Holy Spirit, we're going to recognize any doors that we've closed so that we can purposefully, personally open them to you. Give us a simple habits, Lord. What kind of person are Lord, forgive us for being carnal persons. Forgive us for being carnal parents. Forgive us for being carnal children. Forgive us for being carnal friends. Forgive us for being carnal neighbors, for being carnal co-workers. Lord, we don't want to be insufficiently filled with the Spirit in any realm of our lives. We want to be filled with the Spirit. Spiritual people. Make us spiritual parents. Make us spiritual children. Make us spiritual friends and neighbors and witnesses and co-workers wherever we are. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' saving and precious name. Let the family say, Amen.